What's up, church? Hey, we're great to have you. We are in uh, the book of Colossians, and uh, this is week nine. Uh, Next week, we're going to wrap it up, put a bow tie on it, and so hope that you'll come back. Uh, All the way through the book of Colossians, we've gone verse by verse, uh, working our way through it. And in the first two chapters, uh, it's very theological, uh, very heavy in terms of doctrine, a lot of stuff there. And then it moves to chapter 3, and it gets much more personal. And you uh, see what it looks like to live in Christ, to rules of Christian living. And then it moves from the sphere of living for Christ uh, in, your, in your personal life to living for Christ in your family life. And so it uh, should move into our families, into our marriages, into our parenting, and then not only in our household, but also into uh, really our workplace. And so today we're going to be looking at a handful of scriptures in the last part of Colossians. We're going to wrap up uh, chapter 3, starting in uh, verse 22, and then we're going to go all the way uh, into chapter 4, verse 1, okay? And so we don't have a lot we're going to cover, uh, but it's some really, really, really good stuff, and it all pertains to work, okay? And I know, like, you're here, and you're like, oh, work, you know? You got, like, educators here that, like, you're counting the other days, and let me go ahead and just count them down for you, okay? There's some of you that you're going to start by the end of this week, okay? Uh, there's others that you're going to start in two weeks, and then, uh, kids, it's coming. It's just right around the corner. Uh, and so here's the deal. I mean, as we work through this today, uh, I've got some news. I've got some bad news, and I've got some good news. Here's the news. Uh, we are all designed to work, Every one of us were designed to work. That was God's original plan of creation was for us to work. That's news. Now you go, what's the bad news? Well, the bad news is, is that work is no fun, period. That's why all of you dread going to work tomorrow, and it's because why? Work is not a product of the fall. Work was in original creation, but work became laborious, difficult, hard, and sometimes not very fun as a product of sin and the fall. And so the news is we're all supposed to work. The bad news is is that work's not a lot of fun anymore. So what's the good news? Well, it doesn't have to be that way. Like God has given us a plan in his word to be successful in the workplace and to honor him at the same time. And so you can have an outlook that work is terrible and I'm not going to go to work and have a great attitude and I don't really like the people that I work with. Or you could kind of change the outlook that you have and begin to base some of the principles that you live by, even at the workplace, off the Word of God. And if you begin to base them off the Word of God, get this, it doesn't matter how good or bad your boss is. It doesn't matter how much you like your coworkers uh, out in the shop with you. The bottom line is, is that you have an opportunity to honor God in the workplace as you honor him. And so that's what this text is about. And we're going to dive in and uh, we're going to get kind of going. Now, as we start, I want to give you the premise of this. that There are basically three types of workers on planet Earth, and they're all found here. And let's just take the reference of this a piano, moving a piano, okay? Uh, we have a piano in our house, which I've been trying to convince my wife to get rid of for years, Okay. Uh, And the reason why is I hate moving it, okay? Because typically when I move it, I see three types of workers come out and moving this piano. The first one is the guy who gets back behind it and he helps pick it up and then he's pushing, right? I'm the guy that's always the front and I'm pulling and I'm guiding. And then there's always the other one and he just comes along and he gets what? The piano bench, right? (laughs) Yes? 
And like, let, let me just kind of give you an idea how this works out in terms of generations. Like you are, some of you in here, you're the silent generation. That means that you were born before the baby, baby boomers. That's like 1950 and previous, okay? You're in here and you, and like the baby boomers, those from 50 to about 64, you say this all the time. They just don't have kids around here that work like we used to. <laughs> Can I get an amen? Y'all like you said it. We just need some good hard work. Now, we, like Generation X, Generation Y, we say, hey, chill out. We're not going to work, what, harder. We're going to work smarter. Right. Yes. <laughs> and then, of course, like you've got all those after 2000, that's Generation Z, and they're like, work? What's that? You know what I mean? And so, like, that's where we're going, and that's kind of what it looks like. But the bottom line is this. We are designed to work. It's not always a lot of fun, but Paul addresses this. And he doesn't just address it here in this text. Um, there's many different references. You can look at Ephesians 6 as he writes to the church at Ephesus. Uh, you got some inferences as he writes in Galatians. Uh, he writes a, a, a letter to Philemon, a slave. And it's a whole letter dedicated um, to Philemon. And so you see uh, a lot of different times that this comes up. And so look at verse 22 where it says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything. In everything. Uh, matter of fact, when he says slaves, you're going already, okay, well, is this really applying to us because we're really not slaves? And is this advocating slavery and all this? And, and I want you to understand uh, that there are many people early in our country that they use this in the pulpit to advocate slavery. But Paul is not an advocate of slavery. But I think what Paul realized is this, that in the time of the culture, uh, there were probably 60 to 70 million slaves in the area of Rome. And so this isn't a Christianity thing. It, it was, slavery predates Christianity. It predates Christ. It wasn't that a bunch of Christians decided to take advantage of people. So I hear that a lot. I've heard that before. I, I'm not going to get on board with a God who's an advocate of slavery. No, the problem is, is that slavery is a very um, known concept, even outside of biblical scenes and settings. But what Paul does is he says, look, if slavery is going to be something that's happening in the culture, I'm going to give some godly rules in terms of what it should look like, not only for the master, but also for the slave. And so he's going to put some parameters, and that's going to be a real shift in the culture. It's going to be a real shift because used to, you could take advantage of slaves. You could make them do whatever they wanted. And slaves, let's just be honest, they did not have a lot of worth or value in their setting. And so masters would take advantage of them. Uh, they would sell them and they would trade them and they would do lots of different things. And Paul is saying, no, 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 no. Look, if you're going to have this type of relationship, there needs to be some guidance. Now, I want you to know that Christians came along, and there was a Christian in England who uh, he helped abolish slavery there. It was Christians that helped move the abolitionist movement here in our country to get rid of slavery. And so we are not advocates of slavery. We're not advocates of it here. Matter of fact, I'll just go on record and say what we said a couple of weeks ago. We believe all people here in our community, in our church, are what? Created in the image of God. And so we all have value. And, and honestly, this text, if you look at it in the context of slavery, you would go, it really doesn't apply. And so what does it apply best to now? It applies best to the workplace. And so it says slaves, or if you want in this case, say workers that don't get enough money, right? Whatever you want to put on there. Obey your earthly masters and everything. 
And so it's really a relationship now to the employee and the employer. It says, obey. And the word there literally is uh, hupakuo, okay? Hupakuo. And you're like, what? And literally, it's the same word as to listen, to heed. And it's almost as if somebody knocks on the door, you're going to come and you're going to answer it. It's the same word that's used just a couple of verses early when it talks about uh, children, obey your parents. The idea is not just to hear the knock on the door. The idea is to what? Respond. And so if the doorbell rings, you open the door. Yes? And so parents, if you say, I would like you to take out the trash, children, they should what? Respond. Oftentimes we're like, did you hear that? (laughs) Work? What's that? And that's the idea. So the idea is that they would hear and respond in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you but to, and to curry their favor, what? But all the time. And so I'm going to give you four things. You ready for this? Four things in this text, pretty simple things if you want to get a job and keep it. You know what I mean? So there's a lot of people in here, you're like, I'm looking for a job. I'll help you find a job. I will help you find a job if you'll hold to these four qualities. Problem is, most people who want my help finding a job can't hold these four qualities. And so these four qualities, they will help you get a job, and they will help you keep a job. Got me? Take it to the bank. If you want a plan, employers, you want to hire good people, write them down. This is the ideas here of what? Getting a job and keeping a job. And so the first one is what? Be productive at work even when they're not what? Looking. Got me? even when they're not looking. And so the idea is this. It's no secret that Americans right now, they are working longer hours than they ever have in history. And so for all the people in here, the the baby boomer generation, you're like, they just don't make them like they used to be. Well, actually, right now, America is working longer hours than they ever have in previous decades and even centuries. They are exhausting themselves. Most people would say on average work more than 50 hours a week They work long hours into the evenings, oftentimes they're answering emails at 2, 3 in the morning, trying to keep up with the cumbersome workload, and all of them would say, and even economists would say, that they're overworked and they're underpaid. There's only one country in the world that works longer hours than Americans, and that's Koreans. And Koreans are actually going into, like, putting themselves in prison. They work such long hours, they're like, I'm done. And they're checking into, like, mental institutes. And the idea here is you know that it's not healthy, but let's just be honest. We oftentimes work very long hours, but while we're at work, we oftentimes do things that don't, what, cause production. And so with the day uh, and age of media, with phones, with tablets, uh, with solitaire, you know, let's just be honest, solitaire is helpful at work sometimes, right? We oftentimes don't find ourselves being as productive as what we would like to be. And oftentimes we take more breaks and we oftentimes, listen, we're okay with that because we think because I'm working longer hours, it's okay. They owe me a little time for myself. And so we make personal phone calls, Uh, we oftentimes do personal things, we work on our budget, we pay our bills, and we do all of that at our employer's expense. And what Paul is saying is this, is that if you want to be a great employee, you can't do those things. Matter of fact, what he's saying is if you want to be productive at work, you got to do it when they're not looking. And so when the boss is on vacation, it means that what? You still do the things you're always doing. 
means that you don't sit around and uh, deliberate with other co-workers about how the company should change its vision and how we should do this differently and how we should do that differently. It means that you don't go to lunch on the company's expense and call it what? Work. The idea here is that what? You would obey your earthly masters and everything and do it not only when their eye is on you but, and to curry their favor, but all the time. And it says in verse 22, but with sincerity and heart and reverence for the Lord. So what is that? It basically means this, that the second thing is, is that you don't just want to be productive. You want to also respect your employer. Like you got to respect them. And you go, what do you mean I want to respect them? Well, I, my boss is a terrible boss. He, he doesn't check in on time. He leaves early. He's not ever there. He doesn't give great communication or instructions. And oftentimes, I don't really know what we're doing. And so you're asking me to like my boss, or you're asking me to like my employer or to agree with him? I can't do it. But the bottom line is this, is that if you're going to be the employee that God wants you to be, you have to respect him. Because right here it says, when, with sincerity, the, the word sincerity is an incredible word here. And the Greek word is haplotes. And you're like, what in the world is that? It's only found a handful of times in the text. And oftentimes it refers to the idea of singleness. And it's about our relationship with God. See, God doesn't want some of our heart, does he? Did you know that? Wake up call. God doesn't want just a piece of your life. Like he wants all of your life. Got me? I've had people before and oftentimes say, well, Brandon, my decision wasn't personal. It was professional. And I'm like, wait a second. God doesn't separate your professional life and your personal life. It's all his. And so the idea is he wants a singleness of thought. What is a singleness of thought? He says with sincerity, he wants singleness. The best word that we have for it in our culture is integrity. That we would be integral, that we would be one. You'd have a oneness. And so what does that mean? Well, just as God wants all of us, God says you should give all of yourself to your employer. And so singleness means there's no duplicity. Duplicity is coming to church on Sunday morning and then going out and during the week you cuss and you slander other people and you talk about how bad the, the sermon was and you evaluate lots of different things. And then you go out and you party with people in your journey group and you hang out and you do all these different things that are contrary to the word of God and Christian living and then you show back up the next weekend and you do it all over again. That's duplicity. Duplicity is killing the church but it's also killing the workplace. Let me explain duplicity in the workplace. Duplicity in the workplace is looking your boss in the eye and being friendly to him, but talking about him at your home with your wife and kids about how he doesn't take care of you. Duplicity in the workplace and a lack of singleness in the workplace is telling your boss how great he is to his face, but talking about him in the break room. Duplicity is when you or kind to your boss in his face, but you take home a lot of office supplies for yourself. Duplicity is looking at your boss and telling him how good he is, but every time he tries to cast vision for the company, you roll your eyes and you gasp because you don't agree with him. Do you understand that's what it is? Basically, the idea is, is with sincerity, singleness of heart, and reverence for the Lord. So what does this mean? Here's the bottom line. Get this. You don't honor your boss because he's a good boss. You don't respect him and give him your heart because you think he's fair or because he pays you a just wage. 
you respect him because he's your boss, he writes your paycheck, and because you love the Lord. Like that paycheck, I, that's a pretty good reason to respect him, okay? Just saying, okay? But the best reason is, is because you love the Lord. That's what Paul says. You're productive at work and you respect your employer because what? You love God. You love God. That is what sums it up. It's the same idea in parenting. Parents, the reason that we're cordial to our kids and we don't exasperate them or stir them up is because we love God. Children, the reason we obey our parents is because we love God and we want to honor Him. Wives, the reason that we allow our husbands to lead and have influence in our lives is because we love the Lord. Husbands, the reason we care for our wives the way that Christ cared for us is because we love the Lord. And it just moves from this idea of influence in our culture to the home and even into the workplace. And it all is because we love the Lord. Amen? Like, that's why you go to work on time. That's why you don't cheat your boss. That's why you don't steal from your boss. It means that's why you treat him cordially. Do you know who the best guy is, like the example of this? You're like, you're like who is it? Who is it? Do you all remember Charles Dickens, the Christmas story, right? Christmas Carol. You remember? You got him? Bob Cratchit. Remember? And he worked for this crazy guy, Ebenezer Scrooge. And Scrooge didn't give him a whole lot of time off. He made a meager 15 shillings is all he made. I mean, and it was just a, a very difficult work environment. Matter of fact, he had to plead to get Christmas off. And even Scrooge was like, ah, oh, bah, humbug. And he didn't think that he should even have Christmas off with his family. And although he gave it to Bob... He didn't think he needed it. And do you remember this scene as Bob is sitting around, he's having family, and he's got little tiny Tim on his crutch, and, and he's talking to his wife, Emily, and his wife, Emily, begins to complain about Ebenezer. And Bob, what does he do? He speaks up and he defends him. This mean, greedy old man who is working him into the ground, he defends him. And it makes his wife, Emily, angry. You remember? She gets upset. But the idea here is this, is, is Bob says, I know who's feeding us. And although we are not getting what we think we deserve, he's faithful to write a check. And we're going to be faithful because I'm going to love God and love my family. And I'm going to what? Follow my boss. Now, praise God, in that story, we had a heart change, right? Yes. And so, but the bottom line is, that's what it looks like to respect your employer. And you have you do it because of heart and reverence for the Lord. Then look at verse 23. And then whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart. Got me? What does that mean? When it says give it all your heart, it means give it all you got. Every single thing that you have, you do it and you do it well. So here's what it means. You can't be lazy and slothful. Got me? And so while we're putting in long hours, oftentimes what? We're not productive, and sometimes we're lazy and slothful with our time. Got me? And the idea here is that you're going to do it the best that you know how. And so if you make windows, guess what? You're going to make the best windows there is, right? If, if you sell cars, you're going to sell cars, you're going to do it with integrity and heart, and you're going to work at it with all that you have. 
If you're a plumber, get this. You're going to make sure that all your ends are glued and you're going to do it to specs, not because an inspector's coming, but because you love the Lord and you're going to do it right with excellence the first time. You don't have to have someone overseeing you on every job. They know that I'm going to send this guy out because he's going to do it right the first time. If you are here and you are an auto mechanic, it means that you don't tell people that they need brakes to be replaced if they don't. It means you only replace them when they really need it, and then you charge people with a fair wage. That's the idea here. It means if you're a coach, it means that you coach well, and you love kids, and you train them, and you grow them up as men and as women, not because they're going to put a win in the column for you, but because you love the Lord, and you want to mold them and shape them. Teachers, the reason that you keep doing what you do is not because you get a great budget, because we know that oftentimes you're in the midst of budget cuts, and you're having to buy your own paper and supplies, and you're having to make sure that you have stuff just to print for the kids. But get this, you don't do it because of what the school provides you. You do it because you love the kids and you're not lazy or slothful. You see it's an opportunity to invest in the next generation. And so the idea here is that you don't be lazy or slothful. And I would tell you in this age, I do agree with many of the silent generation and the baby boomer generation. I think we're becoming less productive as a nation, although we're working more hours. And I think so much of it is, is because of all of the things that we have influence in our life, like tablets and media and other resources that we have, and the idea that we're going to work smarter, not harder, but we're becoming less productive. And to get kids to go outside and mow the yard is very difficult in this day and age because they would rather not do that, and they would rather sit inside and game. I mean, that's just the truth. And so, uh, But here's the deal. Your kids will not learn hard work unless parents you teach them hard work. They won't learn the disciplines of faith unless you teach them disciplines of faith. And so it's not something that they inquire. Unfortunately, it's not a genetic thing. It's a learned behavior. Did you hear that? It's not a genetic thing. It's a learned behavior. But the bottom line is God's very serious about the idea of work. If you don't believe me, you can go and look at all the scriptures that there are throughout the entire Bible about work. But here's just a handful of them. Proverbs 6, 6 and 8 says, Go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares the bread in summer and gathers her food for the harvest. Proverbs 13, 4, it says, The soul of the slugger craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. What's the idea? The sluggard is not going to have anything. And oftentimes it's the sluggard who needs to what? Beg, steal, and what? Borrow. And all the while, what the scriptures say is if you want to put food on the table, get out and work. I love Thomas Edison and what he says. Uh, opportunity is missed most because it's dressed in overalls and it looks like what? Work. Yes? And I don't know how many times people will say, Brandon, I can't find a job. I'm putting applications in here. I'm putting applications in here. I'm putting applications in here. And I just want to say, come get my lawnmower and go to work. Because there are people out there that want people to mow their lawns. And I am sitting here and I'm saying, and I know that there are many of you who are like, well, I can't find a job. And I know it's very difficult sometimes to find our job in this economy. But the bottom line is this. You and I have to be workers. You got me? You got to have hard work. Matthew 6, you remember the text that God will provide for the birds of the air. And if he can provide for them, then won't he provide for you? Yes? 
And so what is his promise? His promise is I'm always going to provide for the birds. But get this, I've never seen any time where God has sovereignly picked up the food and placed it in their nest. And so they have to go out and get it and gather. But God says it's there. And so he says the same for us. Got me? Look at verse 24. And since you know that you receive an inheritance from the Lord as well, it is the Lord Christ that you are serving. And so the idea here is this. We know that God is going to supply our every need. And since we have an inheritance from the Lord, this is what? From him spiritually, an inheritance of the Lord. We have an inheritance that never spoils or fades away. It's kept in heaven for us as the believer. We know that there's a reward. And so the idea here is this, is that there's going to be a reward for us based off of what we've done. Now here's the other thing, and this is what employers are looking for. This is the fourth one. You ready for it? They don't want you to just be productive. They don't want you to just uh, be um, respectful. They don't want you just to not be lazy or slothful. The last one is this. They want you to understand this idea, and that's honesty and truthfulness. Why are we honest and truthful? Well, based off of 24, it says the Lord will reward us. What is he rewarding for? What is he rewarding you for? Do you know? He's rewarding you for jobs that you never got rewarded for publicly. You never got applause. You never got a pat on the back. Like your boss has never come out to the work line as you're stamping parts and said, Man, that's a great looking part. That one really looks a lot different than the other 500 that you stamped today. And then you never got that applause. But what the Lord says is because you are faithful that one day I'm going to give you your reward. And the idea is this. Not everybody's going to get a reward. Not everybody's going to get the approval. Not everybody's going to get the well done, good and faithful service. Uh, servant. Not everybody is going to get the applause or the pat on the back. Not everybody is going to what? Be dressed in white garments. Revelation. Because of how they've done in life and how they've done in the workplace. But some will be rewarded based off of what God sees. And see, oftentimes our, our work is motivated by what man sees. And when man is not there, bosses out our production lessons. When boss is there, our production peaks, it perks. We oftentimes do things where he can see. We often throw little jabs about the person that wasn't there why, you know, and who he's not doing his job and how you've picked up his slack. And you oftentimes put yourself up a little bit in front of your boss. And what here he says, no, 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 you do everything because it, it matters that God is one day going to see it. Now, you may not understand or you may not know why this is important, but I think Paul writes to uh, Titus, and I think he kind of clearly outlines this. And, and I'm going to read ten verses to you, and I want you to see uh, that the first about seven, you're going to go, oh, these are good verses. And You may not think they apply, but they really do, but just look at it. But when we get to eight, nine, and ten, I want you to see how he brings it home. Verse one, he says, you, however, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and endurance. Got me? So he says, teach the older men. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, to be subject to their husbands, so that no one will will malign the word of God. Similarly, 
Encourage the young men to be self-controlled. In everything, set them up as an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. Do you see the idea here? Like, as Christians, we ought to be so self-controlled, have such a great temperance, work ethic, we ought to be so different that people are attracted to us, that even when they say something bad about you, even when they uh, malign your name or they question your integrity, there is nothing for them to stand on. There is no proof. There is nothing there for them. And then it goes on, and I love verse 9 and 10. Teach slaves. You see this? Servants. This could apply to us in this area to be subject to their masters and everything to try to please them, not to talk back to them, not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Savior what? Attractive. Like you wonder, like what is happening in our culture? I'm going to give you some statistics that absolutely blew me away. Listen to this. Honesty in the workplace is the factor that seems to be missing in this culture in this day and age. Get this. In 2012, there were 71,095 employees apprehended for theft in the workplace. That was up 5.5% in 2011. As of now, 75% of all American workers would say that they have stolen from their employee, although the minor, it might be a minor infraction, that they would say they've stolen from their employee at one point in time in their life. 37.5% of those employees would say that this happened on numerous occasions, more than twice. Wow! What? When inventory is missing on the room floor, 42.7% of the time, it's tracked back to employee theft. So that means when you go to Home Depot and you're like, hey, I'm actually looking for this small little uh, like bucket right here. You know? And they're like, we have 16 of them, but we're only seeing two. Where are the rest of them? Now I'm like, now I know. <laughs> That's craziness. Get this, it, it's even crazier. 7% of annual revenue in America is lost each year due to employee theft. 7%. Equating for over $50 trillion of American revenue. $50 trillion. I started doing the math. I went back and I found some statistics. In 1989, it was over $120 million in American revenue in 1989. So we're almost 20 years removed, and it's $50 trillion from employee theft. Get this. The average theft or fraud takes two years before they're caught or apprehended. And so how long is it going on before someone finally notices? It's crazy. And then get this. Listen to this. One in 30 employees this year will be arrested because of this, this theft. So do you think that maybe the employer is looking for someone special. Can I just give you the idea, really? He says in verse 25, get this, based off of 24, anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrong, and there is no favoritism. He goes, there's going to be a day where we're all going to stand for the Lord. And you may think, well, my employer never saw it, but he goes, I saw it. And there's going to be a day that we're all accountable for what? 
our reward. And there are going to be many of us that we're not going to be a part of the kingdom at all because we're not Christians. And so there's going to be a different type of judgment. There's a judgment there for us. The other one, the idea is the, the bema. And it means this, you're either going to get a reward or you're not. The idea is you're either going to get some trophies and accolades, you're going to be dressed in fine linen, white and clean, or you're going to be lacking some things. You're going to be walking around rather naked. And it's going to be based off of things even in the workplace. And so it's not just homes. It's, it's not just what we do out in the culture. It's not just about you know, what we say or what we don't say. It's not just about are we failures to parents and our kids don't go to church anymore. No, it's the simplistic things, even like how great of a job are you doing in the workplace. The idea is, is severe. He goes, you're going to be repaid. And then he switches it in verse 1. And he says this, Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair because you know that you also have a master in heaven. And so he just correlates it. And so here you are, you're like, I'm the employer. And you're like, man, I have been looking for employees. And Brandon, I commend you for doing this. Well, he just switches it right here. And he goes, well, if you want great employers and employees, then why don't you be a great employer? Like there's some employers in here that nobody wants to work for you because you are cheap. You are cheap. You are pocketing lots of money, and you've got people. There's some of you that you're going to take this message to your boss. You know, like, you are cheap. You know, like, make sure they listen to all of it. Now, but the idea is this. Don't you want to create a work culture where people want to come to work? Don't you want to be a part of a work culture where you don't dread the Monday morning woe? You didn't, you didn't does that make sense? I mean, don't you want to be a part of a place where there's not bickering and fighting and arguing, where there's not a lack of vision? Don't you want to be a part of a place where it's fun and it's enjoyable? You know that you're going to work hard, that you're going to be productive, and that you're going to support uh, your leadership, and you know at the, the same time they're going to listen to your influence, and they're going to allow you to have a voice in some way, and you're going to press on, and you're going to get great things done for not only uh, your company but also the kingdom of God. Like, doesn't that sound awesome? Anybody else like that? That sounds awesome. Yes, that sounds awesome. But there are many of us in this room, and you're like, Brandon, that's not how it is at, at my office. That's just not how it is. Like, it, it's not that way. And you even are here, and you're like, and I even work for a Christian employer. Like, he, he claims to be a Christian, but it's just not that way. Like, we just don't have a great work culture. Well, let me ask you a question. What, what do you do? I mean, if you keep going and you feel like you're overworked and underpaid, you feel like there's not a whole lot of perks, there's not a lot of praise, there's not a lot of pat on the backs. And what do you do? Well, here's what you do. You ready? You press on. You keep working. And you do it not for men, but you do it for the Lord. And you realize that every time that you clean the office bathroom, you're doing it for the Lord. And like you're doing it because you know that there's going to be people use it. And you're never really praised. Nobody even really knows that you do it. You're there early and you make the coffee every single morning. And no one ever comes in and they go, man, that's a fantastic cup of coffee. You know what they do? Man, who made that? It's pretty strong today. And you're like, I'm pretty sure I've been using the same recipe for the last six months. It's five scoops. It hasn't changed. It didn't change this morning. And so it wasn't stronger today than it was yesterday. It's the same roast, the same variety. Drink it and shut up. <laughs> but you don't. You don't do that. You know, you, you're just like, Lord, you know. And never did they go, hey, thanks for making a cup of coffee this morning. Just, it, this sound like, I mean, does that sound true? Like it, and so you just press on for the sake of the kingdom. Yes. 
And based off of Titus chapter 2, which I love, that 9 and 10, look at it, let's read it one more time because this is, like, this is it. This is it, folks. This is it. Teach slaves to be subject to their masters and everything. Try to please them, not talk back to them. Do not steal from them. Show that they can be fully trusted so that in every way we will make the teaching about God, our Savior, attractive. The reason we work hard is because it increases our witness. It just increases our opportunity to one day share our faith with the boss who does not know Jesus Christ. It increases our opportunity to one day have spiritual conversations and they can't turn it back and say, I'm not going to talk about your God when I see how you make those things. You're not productive in this area of work, and so I'm not going to talk to you about what it looks like to honor God. See, the idea is that they would have nothing bad to say about you, and they love you so much, they see how great of an ethic that you have that they even want to hear from you about who your God is because that's the reason we work. And so what are employers looking for? Let me just close with this. Maybe it's helpful. And get, get this, you're going to get out four minutes early today. Wow! Look at this. Here it is. Last thing I just want you to see. Employers are searching for this. Positive, positive. Not draining people. Not life suckers. You got me? Yes? You know them. If you don't know them, it's you enthusiastic people who show up for work on time, who are dressed and prepared properly, who go out of the way to add value. They do more than what's required of them. They're honest, and they give friendly service regardless of the situation. And we look at that and we go, man, that doesn't seem that hard. And it's not. The problem is we show up in interviews and are flip-flops and pajamas, and we think they ought to hire us on the spot. And it just doesn't work that way. Because unfortunately, a lot of the people that are running our business today are in this generation called the baby boomer generation. And you know what they want? They want somebody that works hard and that looks the part. Beards drive them crazy. (laughs) And then you've got us, X and Y, and we're just like, hey, chill out, chill out. We'll get it done. Give us time. But somehow or another, we have to determine. We have to determine that we're going to work hard, not for them, but for the Lord, so that we increase our witness for the kingdom of God. It's a big, big deal. And my prayer is, is that we would get it and that we'd be more productive. Bottom line is, if you're more productive and you get paid more, you tithe more. Let's pray. <laughs> Father, I love you, and I thank you uh, very, very much for our time this morning. And, uh, Father, I pray that we all know in this room that that last one was a joke. Um, <laughs> God, you care so much about this issue. And, uh, God, you care so much about how we work. And I pray, Father, that we would be productive in the workplace. Um, That, Father, that we would be respectful, that we would have a singleness to our employer, that even if he's not fair, that we don't trash him, even though he doesn't pay us the wage that we deserve and what other companies are paying for similar people. I pray that we would would keep pressing on, that, that, Lord, even though our, our checks are meager and they barely get us by, would we look to the God who gave us the job and thank him that you've provided enough? Lord, allow us, God, to work at everything with all of our heart. May we give it all that we have as working for the Lord and not for human masters. Would we remember not to be slothful or lazy because you're watching? 
And Father, may we be honest and may we have a great deal of integrity. May we not be the type of person who's taking from our employer and selling things online. May we be the type of person that if there's something that we want or things that we think we deserve, that we would either ask or that we would leave it. Father, most of all, would we just know that you're watching and, Lord, that you want to reward us for living faithfully to you. And oftentimes, faithfully to us as Christians means that we go to church, we pray, and we read our Bible, and we have this area of our life in which we manage so well but we're not very good at work. And I pray that we would find balance in all areas of our life because you're so concerned about this. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.